0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to take just a one-week break from Revelation, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark this morning. This last week, Sam and I got a text from Josh Green, and he was asking us if we were going and doing the trick-or-treating right here at the Platorium. And I did not even know this was happening, and so I replied that I didn't know it was happening. And he said, come on, dude, they sent something home with the kids from school. Of course you knew it was happening. So I went over and talked to Sam, and she's like, well, of course I know it was happening. But we've just gone to so many different trick-or-treating events that we're just, we're kind of trick-or-treated out. And we knew that we're gonna be here tonight. We're gonna trick-or-treat tonight with the kids, and then tomorrow is actually Halloween. We're gonna trick-or-treat with the kids tomorrow. Uh, And so there are times where we just gotta decide... Some things are in and some things are out because the reality of life is there are so many things to do that we have to make a line somewhere in order to simplify our lives. Because if we say yes to everything, then you're not going to have time to do anything really. And so there needs to be simplification to some extent And Sam and I love to try and simplify our lives. If you were to talk to Sam and get in a conversation with her, we've got four children at home. And so she's always thinking about how can we simplify the amount of children's toys that we have in our house? What do we need to keep? What do they actually use and play with? And what do they not care about? And what we can get rid of and they won't even notice for a while. But for me, a couple years ago, I heard this idea that I was just captivated by. And it was this idea of a life uniform. And you may be thinking, What in the world is a life uniform? Well, basically the concept is you just buy one color pair of pants and one color shirt. You just get a bunch of each of those and you just wear the same thing every single day. And I love this idea because I don't have to think one bit about what I'm gonna wear. I just know. Now clearly you all have seen me for a while. It's not taking root. Sam has basically said, that's ridiculous. No, you're not doing that. But I love the idea because half the time I put a shirt on and I walk out of the closet and Sam's like, Mm-mm, no, I need to change. Right. I don't have the best sense of fashion or what goes with what. And so that would be a great opportunity for me to simplify my life. But this idea of simplification is very tempting for a lot of us. And maybe you've thought about this before. We all desire to simplify our lives. There are so many things in our life that are pulling for our attention, that are trying to get us to do this or that, that we have to be able to decide what we want to keep in and what we need to cut out in order to simplify. Because we know that simplification is is a good, because the less that we have in our lives or the more simple something is, the more we're able to understand what it is that we're all about. Right. If we're trying to get our hands into everything, then our focus of what are we trying to accomplish in life is a lot more blurry. But if we're able to cut out the things that don't matter and really focus on what does matter, then there's clarity about what it is that we want to do with our lives. Part of that is simplifying, right? Cutting out the what's what's excess and what we don't need, and focusing on uh, what's good. Uh, There's this this phrase that you'll see online sometimes. It's called explain like I'm five. And what people try and do is take a complicated subject like quantum physics and explain it to someone as if they were five years old. And this is hard to do. And if any of you have ever been involved in children's ministry, I mean, Matt and Liz know this very well. If you are trying to explain something to a child and you can't explain it so that they can understand it, then maybe you don't really know what you're trying to explain to begin with right, simplifying a definition down to where it's easily understandable can be very hard, but it's very valuable because when you're able to do that, it means that you have a really good understanding of what you're trying to explain. Mark's gospel is, we don't want to say that it's overly simplified, but one of the things you'll notice with Mark's gospel is that it is relatively simple, right? That's what we're going to look at today. Now, if you're not familiar with the New Testament or with your Bible, the first four books of the New Testament are all called Gospels, okay? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four Gospels are accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus. So as you read through the Gospels, you'll see what Jesus was like, the things that he did, the miracles that he worked, the way he interacted with individuals, And then you'll see how he dies and how he is risen back to life. And so these Gospels are huge. They're really awesome. And if you've not spent time reading them, I would highly encourage that you do. But three of those four Gospels are called Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all called Synoptic Gospels. And the reason that they're called that is because they're very similar in that they they share a lot of the same stories So you can read about the same thing often in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and get three different viewpoints. And then John is kind of like out there by himself and he's just like, I'm not doing what y'all did. I'm doing my own thing. I'm writing my own account. And it's quite different. But Mark, even, even though it's a synoptic gospel with Matthew and Luke, what you'll notice about Mark is that oftentimes Mark is just straight to the point. Matthew and Luke will oftentimes give a whole lot more detail about a story, the same story, and they'll tell you about the setting and all, the, all that's happening around. And then they'll give you the, the meaning, you know, all that's happening. But Mark's just like, no, nah, forget the extra detail. I'm just going for it. I'm going to tell you straight to the point what it's all about. And one of the things I appreciate about Mark's gospel is that, it, that by itself. He simplifies all, a lot of this, these things that are happening and just gets straight to the point. And says, here's, here's what I'm going to say. So, I want us to look at the first 15 verses of Mark's gospel. And I want us to see this morning that the gospel is simple. It's the first thing I want us to see. But then second, strong. Let's read, the gospel is strong. The gospel is simple and the gospel is strong. Let's read beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God... And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if you go back and you start at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, you're going to be greeted with this giant genealogy about all these individuals that begat the previous person. And even in Luke, if you go to Luke's gospel and you read the beginning of Luke's gospel, you're going to see that it starts way before John the Baptist and it starts way before the ministry of Jesus and it goes into the birth narratives and that's what we focus on at Christmas time. We always go to Matthew and to Luke and we look at those birth narratives because that's specific to Christmas and we love those things. But Mark doesn't bother with those things. He jumps straight. I mean, literally, he just says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he quotes the Old Testament and boom, we're introduced to John the Baptist. And we're not really even introduced to him. He just says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness. So you see how Mark is somewhat simplistic, right? He's not interested in giving you all the details, right? You can find those elsewhere. He's just wanting to get straight to the point. But I want us to look very closely at these last two verses that I read. Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. Because this is where we see the message that Jesus is preaching as he begins his ministry. It says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, before we get into what he's actually proclaiming, we need, to, we need to look at this word gospel because even before this, the very first verse of Mark, we are told that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This word gospel means quite literally good news. So you you watch the Christmas child video and you saw there was a girl, uh, I believe it was a girl running with that red flag and just said good news on it. I love that. That is what gospel literally means. And so if we understand this verse one, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Okay, gospel means good news. And so now we see in verse 14, Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The gospel is good news. we right, we're gonna look at what it is that the gospel is here in just a minute. But first of all, you need to know that it's good news. And not only that it's good news, but it's good news from God and it's about Jesus, right? Jesus says, or Mark speaking about what Jesus was saying, proclaiming the gospel of God. All right, this is not just a random gospel that Jesus made up and and is bringing to the people. This is a gospel message. This is good gospel from God himself. And as verse one points out, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the gospel, you probably hear that term thrown around a lot. We're talking about good news. And the good news comes from God, and it's about Jesus. But now we see what he's saying in verse 15. And here's what Jesus says. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The message of Jesus, according to Mark's gospel here, is to repent and to believe in in the good news. Repent and believe. Now, if you've spent any amount of time around church, you've probably heard the word gospel a lot. You've probably heard the word repent a lot. At least hopefully you have. Because repent is one of the key key parts of the message that Jesus comes preaching. He comes into Galilee, and what he's saying or what he's preaching or proclaiming is, repent and believe. Now, this idea of repentance is not a new idea, okay? The need for repentance is not a new idea. This word repentance literally means to change one's mind, okay? We often talk about it as to change the way that you're going, right? That's one way to understand it. But the word literally means a change of mind, okay? So when you had in your mind, right, that Saturday was going to be all about sitting on the couch watching college football, and then you remembered, oh, I'm supposed to work today, then you need to have a change of mind. You need to change your focus from sitting on the couch doing nothing, eating potato chips, and watching football all day to now getting your work clothes on and getting out the door and getting to your job and and fulfilling your responsibilities, right? That is a change of mind. You're having to shift your focus from one thing that you wanted to do to another thing that you need to do. And this idea of repentance is very similar to leaving something, change of mind, We are changing from believing one thing to believing something different. But this is not the first time that we see it. Uh, we have been preaching through each book of the Bible on Sunday evenings. And so if you've been here for that, you've probably heard some. Maybe you've been able to, to listen to some online. Uh, but we started in Genesis. We preached one sermon on Genesis, one sermon on Exodus, all the way up. And just this last Sunday, uh, we did Jeremiah. And I was the one who preached Jeremiah, so obviously Jeremiah is fresh on my mind. But this message of repentance is found all the way back in the Old Testament. And I want you to listen to what um, what God says through Jeremiah the prophet. Okay, so Jeremiah is coming to God's people, the Israelites, and here's what he says. This is Jeremiah chapter 4. He says, if you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return and if you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear, saying as the Lord lives in truth, in justice and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him and in him shall they glory. So God is confronting his people and he's saying if you return, okay, so what he's saying there is that you've gone one way and you need to turn and go a different way. He says, if you turn or return, O oh Israel, to me you should return. Right, he's giving them an explicit of, you shouldn't just turn to just something different. You need to return to me. So it's this changing of mind from the way you were going and the things that you were thinking. You need to shift those and get those focused back on me. He, says, he then says, and if you remove your detestable things from my presence... It's this idea that these were the things that they were pursuing after. These are the things that they wanted, that they desired. And he's saying, you know, you need to remove those and return your focus onto me. So he doesn't use the word repent all the way back here in Jeremiah. And there's lots of other examples in the book of Jeremiah. But another example that you may be familiar with is the Old Testament prophet Jonah. I think most all of us have heard Of Jonah. He's the one who was swallowed by the great fish and then spit out three days later and God speaks to him a second time. Well, I want you to see what God says to him. So this is from Jonah chapter one. God calls out to Jonah and he said, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So again, he does not use the word repent or that phrase repentance. But he says that he wants to go to Nineveh and to call out against it because their evil has come up before me. And we know that Jonah disobeyed. He did not do. He tried to go to Tarshish uh, and go as far away from Nineveh as he could. But then again in chapter 3, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he said, arise, go to Nineveh and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, he doesn't specifically say repent. Repent. But he says, you're gonna call out against it. But then notice the king's response. This comes in Jonah chapter three, verse eight. The king putting out a decree after they've heard the message that Jonah proclaimed. Says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. See, the king understands what the fundamental message of Jonah was. It was to repent. It was to turn from the evil that they were doing and to turn now to the Lord. This is a message, this message of repentance has been one that's been preached by the prophets long, 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 long time ago. And so this is not a new message that Jesus is now bringing to the people. He's just simply stating what the prophets have been stating for hundreds and thousands of years. Repent. Repent. Turn away from the ways that you are going and return to the Lord. Now, I said that our two points this morning is that the gospel is quite literally, right? It's simple in the fact that what we see Jesus preaching is quite literally a very basic message. There's two parts. The first being repent. Repent and believe. Now, we also notice that before Jesus comes on the scene right here, back up in verse 4, we've got John the Baptist. And John the Baptist also is proclaiming this uh, message of repentance. Verse 4 says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So, even John the Baptist, who comes to prepare the way for Jesus, it is a fundamental part of his message as well to preach that we must repent. We must turn our minds away from the way that we were going and to fix them back on God. So, then we get to the second part of what Jesus preaches. He's preaching repent and believe in the gospel. You see, when we are confronted with this idea of repentance, we have to ask the question, well, if repentance is a changing of our mind, what are we changing our mind about? Well, first and foremost, we're changing our mind about sin. That's really all of what we've been reading in Jeremiah and Jonah. That's really the message that John the Baptist is saying here is that when we repent, when we are called to repent, it is a call to change our minds about sin, now, I think about our, our culture today that we live in. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that our culture is very sexualized. And our culture says that you can have sexual relations with whoever you want, whenever you want, why ever you want. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that that is a gift for within the confines of marriage. And that is the one and only place that it is to be enjoyed And so for us who are bringing this message of the gospel to a part of our culture that believes very much about do whatever you want with sex, part of our message needs to be there needs to be repentance. You need to change your mind about what you think about that. Now, that's just one, obviously, that I've highlighted. There are tons of others. But we need to change our mind about that. But what do we change it to? Well, that's the second part of the message repent and believe in the gospel believe in the good news the good news that comes from god and the good news that is about jesus christ see repentance is kind of that twofold we're turning from something but we have to turn to something else and jesus is saying the turning to should be to him repent and believe in the gospel. You see, the gospel message in and of itself is not overly complicated. And that's one thing that I love about how John, uh, Mark presents it here. Jesus comes preaching, repent and believe. And as I talked about earlier, when we simplify our lives, it helps us to, to bring focus to things to focus on what's really important to us and to cut out the things that aren't. And so as we think about the fact that the gospel is relatively simple, that helps us have a focus of what do we need to say when we try and share the gospel? What is important that we need to proclaim as we are trying to be faithful stewards of the gospel? There are two things we need to remember to always be present in our preaching and in our teaching and in our proclaiming. Repent And believe the good news. Believe on Jesus. That's not that complicated. I think we all have the ability to remember those things. That's one of the great things about simplifying, or as Mark presents it here. But also, it kind of brings clarity as to what's most important, doesn't it? There are a lot of things that we think about when we are asked the question, how do we share the gospel with somebody? And I think there's, there's a lot of fear in us because oftentimes we, we know they're probably gonna ask questions that we don't have an answer to. And so we think, well, I guess I better not open that can of worms because I'm not gonna be able to answer all the questions. And so it's just, it's not gonna be good if I, if I start talking about Jesus but can't answer everybody's questions. It takes a lot of stress off of us if we know and are confident that, hey, I may not be able to answer all your questions, but I know that when Jesus came proclaiming, he said, repent and believe the gospel. Y'all, the Bible calls sin, sin, and we've gotta know what it says, and we've gotta turn from it. But not just turn from it to something else, turn to him. He is the one that we need to turn to. He is the one that we can trust and that we know will forgive us. That's pretty basic, and that's good for us to know. Repent and believe. But while I also want you to know that the gospel is simple, I want you to also know that it is strong. Now, the reason I say this is because I think there's this general idea that when something is overly simplified, it kind of takes away from it. it. It makes it less, I don't know, less what it was, it kind of strips away some of that. And and here's an example that I thought of this morning. I love chocolate syrup. Now, I don't just eat it by itself, that's crazy. But I love, we always have chocolate syrup in our house because you never know when you need chocolate milk. So we always have chocolate syrup in our house. And there was, this was years ago, but I had a guy that I was working with that told me, hey, have you ever tried this? uh, Hershey's has this chocolate syrup, it's called Simply Five. I was like, I've never heard of that. What is this? He said, well, it's made with only five ingredients. So it's better for you uh, and it's just as good. So of course I went and and got some and it was it healthy. Like I can totally tell they left out all the good ingredients. You know, they're trying to make it healthy for you and I get that, but it's not the same thing. It's terrible, right? So when I think, okay, they simplified it and made it a whole lot worse, right? I don't want us to think about that when we think about the gospel, Right? When we think about simplifying the gospel, because when we talk about the gospel, there's a whole lot that can be said. We could talk for hours. But Mark here presents it as when Jesus came preaching, his message was very simple. Repent and believe the good news. And even though we may say, yes, the gospel is simple and that there's really these two main things we need to remember, repent and believe, that does not take away from its strength. The gospel is strong Let's look at verse 16 and following now, and just read along with me. This is where we see Jesus call his first disciples. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Now you may read that and think, I don't think anything that special about that. They just left what they were doing and they followed Jesus. But this was all that they had ever known. This was their way of life. This is how they provided for themselves, this is how they ate. This is how they made money. And when Jesus calls to them, remember, as he comes, his preaching is relatively simple. It's repent and to believe. But Jesus comes onto the scene. He sees these brothers, these two sets of brothers. He calls them, and their response is to give up everything that they've ever known and to follow him. Jesus, and we know that the, the path of discipleship was long Jesus was with these men for about three years of his ministry before he dies on the cross, but he completely transforms their lives. And if you look at Peter, uh, sorry, he's, his name is Simon here, he's just this lowly old fisherman who's just casting his nets when Jesus calls him. But if we fast forward to the book of Acts, you see that Peter, who's been renamed by Jesus, is now preaching at Pentecost and thousands upon thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus. Now we know that's a work of God, the work of the Spirit, but he's using Peter in doing that and he has used this simple message of repent and to believe to completely transform Simon's life, Peter as we commonly know him. I think of another man that when I was, well, I'll tell you about myself first. When I grew up in a Christian, how, uh, Christian home, I went to church almost every week. I can't remember a week that I did not go to church. Uh, but when I joined the Navy right out of high school, I was given some freedom, and I was no longer under the, my parents' roof, and I stopped going to church. And this was probably f- for about two years that I didn't really go to church. And so I went on my first deployment to Pontepe Micronesia, and there was a, a Christian on this deployment. Now, I was in a, in a small detachment of guys. There was only about 20 of us that were in Ponape. The rest of the battalion was in Okinawa, Japan. And so there was one guy out of this, this group of 20 who was a Christian. What are the odds, right? And so God used this man in my life to speak the truth to me. And he was not overly, you know, hitting me over the head with it. You need to repent and believe. He was just kind. He would talk to me about the Bible. He would talk to me about what he's reading. And and as someone who grew up in the church, you know, I was familiar with it all. And so I would talk to him about it. But when we got back from deployment, he said, you know, why don't you come to church with me? And I went to church with him. And I don't remember sitting in passage that the pastor was preaching. I don't remember any of that. But I remember feeling, sitting in that pew and feeling... Why does he know so much about me? Why is this guy preaching, speaking directly to the things that I'm struggling with, the things that I'm thinking about? How, does, how is he able to do this? And I'm reminded that that's, that's the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit working in the preaching of the word to convict me of sin. And he changed my life. I had no idea what I was gonna do with my life. I can tell you for sure that when I left home and joined the Navy, the last thing I would have ever thought is that I would be standing here in a pulpit preaching the gospel. But the gospel transformed me. This simple message of repent and believe, it transformed my life. And there's another man that I was reminded of as I was thinking about this. His name is John. And he was the father of one of my wife's best friends growing up. And her, her and her friend would go to, youth group all the time. They're super involved in the church, but he just didn't really want anything to do with it. Wasn't interested. He was a great guy, but didn't want anything to do with church, Jesus, the Bible, none of it. Well, so we got married. We moved here to uh, Kentucky. And over the course of time, something happened. And this man started going to church. And he started hearing the gospel. And now you cannot keep this man away from serving others from teaching bible studies he has been radically transformed by the power of the gospel and it's the simple message of repent and believe and it changes people's lives forever and that's the message that we are called to proclaim As a body of believers, the same message that transformed our life is what we are then called to share with others, knowing that it absolutely has the power and strength to transform their life. That is why we do the things that we do here at First Baptist Fairdale. Not because we think that we're great and we can do all these things because we know that the message we carry is strong and it is powerful and it is able to to the uttermost. This is why we do things like Operation Christmas Child, where we pack, let's be honest, junky toys into a little shoebox and send them all over the world and pay $10 to ship this box, not knowing where in the world it's ever going to go. The reason we do it is because we know that when it gets to its destination, there's going to be believers in Jesus there who are sharing this message of repent and believe to these young children. And we know that no matter how good those people are at public speaking or how bad they might be at sharing the gospel, the power is not in them, it's in the message. The power is in the simple message of repent and believe. That's what does the work. God is the one who changes hearts. But he uses this message, this simple but strong message to change hearts. So, as we consider this morning what it means that the gospel is simple, it does not in any way mean that it's weak. Don't think that because the gospel is a simple message that it's weak or lame. It's not. It has the power to transform lives, it's transformed mine. There are countless people in this room that it has transformed yours. And there are people yet in this community, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to transform theirs. And God has given this message to you and to me. He called us to be heralds of the good news. To tell people, hey, you need to repent, but you also need to believe. See, sometimes we get caught up on that repentance piece because it's awkward to tell people, hey, what you're doing, the Bible says is wrong. That's awkward. But don't worry about that. Just know that, hey, the power's not in me. The power's not in my delivery. The power is in Jesus. The power is in the Son of God. It's in the Spirit that's in people's hearts, and he transforms people and makes them into the image of his Son. Paul remembered this. And just what he said to King Agrippa when he's defending himself, he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should do what? Repent and turn to God. That's the message that Paul said. And we look at Paul as the greatest missionary in the history of the church, or at least the greatest missionary that we're aware of. He went so many places, saw so many converts, planted so many churches. And Paul says to King Agrippa, He says, All I did was tell them to repent and turn to God. That's what God's asking us to do. To tell those around us, tell those in our neighborhood, tell those that we work with, tell those that we encounter, Hey, repent. And turn to God. And God will be the one who changes hearts. And he will. He will. The gospel's simple. But despite the fact that it's simple, the gospel's also strong. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for this wonderful gospel, this message from Jesus to repent and to believe. And God, I pray that as this simple for us, that it's easy for us to remember, easy for us to share with others. But all the while, we would be reminded that its simplicity in no way takes anything away from its strength. The gospel is strong. The gospel will change lives, and we know that. God, we pray you would use us to proclaim this wonderful message, this good news, and that through it, you would transform many more lives here in Fredo, Kentucky. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.